Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala asyrafil anbiya'i wal mursalin nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Amma ba'd. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah. Uh, we've reached lesson number 11 tonight by the will of Allah Azza wa Jal of the tafsir of the short surahs of the Quran course and previously we completed in the previous weeks um, <coughs> the tafsir of Surah Al-Fatiha and then the tafsir of Surah Al-Duha and last week the tafsir of Surah Al-Sharh Alam Nashrah Laka Sadrak So tonight, walhamdulillah, we move on immediately to the next surah which is Surah Al-Teen Surah At-Teen which is the surah of the fig Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he begins the surah by swearing by four things we will notice Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he swears by by four things in the beginning of the surah as we spoke about when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by things like wadduha for example um, he swears by things to glorify these things or he swears by things which have significance and so forth. So we will study these four things in this surah by which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath by. And we will look at what the mufassirun have said regarding these things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he starts off the surah by saying, وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ By the fig and the olive. By the fig and the olive. And the ulama have differed. What exactly is meant by the fig and the olive? In this ayah, um, is it the fruit itself, the fig and the, 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 the zaytun, the olive itself? Or could it perhaps be the place where these fruits are found in abundance? And we will see that the ulama have differed. Some of them have said it's the fruit itself. And some other scholars have gone and said, no, it refers to uh, certain places, noble, sacred places where these fruits are found in abundance. So for example, the great Sahabi, Tarjuman al-Quran, the interpreter of the Quran, Abdullah ibn Abbas, Al-Hassan, Mujahid and others, they said that it is your figs that you eat and your olives that you press to extract oil, like olive oil. So according to this view, it's clear that what is meant here is it's the fruits itself, right? It's the figs that you eat. What is meant by figs here? It's the figs that you eat. And what is meant by olives? It's your olives that you press to extract oil. You know, this is the, the olives itself. You press these olives to, to, to get olive oil, right? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, وَشَجَرَةً تَخْرُجُ مِنْ طُورِ أَتَنْبُتُ بِالدُّهْنِ وَصِبِغِ لِلْآكِلِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in Surah Al-Mu'minun, as well as olive trees which grow at Mount Sinai. Now remember this, Mount Sinai which provides oil and a condiment to eat. Oil and a condiment to eat, right? Again, showing that um, this refers to something that is real, something that is, that is edible and so forth. Taib, um, according to Imam Al-Qurtubi and Imam Al-Tabari, who are two of the greatest scholars of tafsir, this is the correct view and this is what was known to the Arabs. So of course we know the Qur'an was sent in the language of the Arabs. And this is how they would have understood it. They understand it literally. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ This is how they understand it. Hence this must be the correct view and Allah knows best. Um, Allah swore by the fig because it's a blessed tree. And by which Adam was covered in Jannah. Uh, the, the ayah in the Qur'an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَطَفِقَا يَخْصِفَانِ عَلَيْهِمَا مِنْ وَرَقِ الْجَنَّةِ They began to cover themselves with the leaves of paradise. So we know the story of Adam alayhi salam. When they were, the clothing was removed, they, they began to cover themselves with leaves from the leaves of Jannah. And Ibn Kathir, he says, using fig leaves. Meaning there was a tree there, a fig tree, and they took these leaves to cover themselves by. Right? Proving that this was a blessed tree in Jannah. Tayyip, and this was also mentioned by Ibn Abbas and Ibn Kathir says this is an authentic statement. So when Allah, as we said, when Allah swears by these things, these are blessed things by which He swears. Okay? Hence, here we can see a narration or an ayah of the Quran 
where Adam السلام, he covered himself with these leaves. Ibn Abbas narrates and says, these were leaves that came from my, my fig tree, um, a blessed fig tree. Others said, the reason Allah swears by the figs is because this is an example of um, his great favor. Because the fig tree is one that is beautiful and it, its fruits has good taste, it has a pleasant smell, and it's also easy to harvest and small in size. This was stated by Al-Qurtubi and others. That this could be one of the reasons um, why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by the fig. Because it's something blessed, something good. And it's, it's a sign of Allah's favors. As for the olives, why does Allah swear by the olive? What is so virtuous about the olive that Allah will swear by olives? Firstly, again, Allah mentions it to be a blessed tree. The famous ayah in Surah Nur, Allahu nurus samawat wal ard. مثل نوره كمشكات فيها مصباح المصباح في زجاجة. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. The parable of His life, His light, is as if there were a niche and within it is a lamp. الزجاجة كأنها كوكب دري يقد من شجرة مباركة زيتونة. And this is of course the shahid and the point of this ayah, where Allah says the lamp is in glass, the glass as it were a brilliant star. Lit from a blessed tree and olive. Shajaratin mubarakatin. Blessed tree, zaytuna and olive. Right? A blessed olive tree. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Quran. Also, the ayah that we mentioned earlier. Shajaratan takhruju min turi sayna atambutu bidduhni wa sibghillil akilin. And a tree, which is an olive tree in this context, that springs forth from Mount Sinai, that grows oil, and it is a relish. Uh, for the eaters, right? We mentioned this ayah earlier on as well. So here we find at least two ayat whereby Allah subhanahu wa taala He speaks about the olive tree and it's being and it as a blessed tree. Also in the in the hadith, Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "Eat the oil and use it on your hair and skin, for it comes from a blessed tree." This hadith is of course speaking about olives, right? So eat the oil, yani consume olive oil. Okay, it's healthy, it's good. And today, alhamdulillah, modern science can prove, can back up this hadith and, and prove that the hadith is true. That search the benefits of olive oil. And don't just consume it, use it on your hair and skin. And again, this is something known today. It's good for the skin, right? It's good to rub it on your body and anoint yourself with it. For it comes from a blessed tree. This comes in hadith. Alhamdulillah. So here are some of the virtues of olives. We see it from the Quran and the Sunnah, and we've seen some from our figs as well. And this could be why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by these fruits. Blessed fruits come from blessed trees, the fig tree even in Jannah, for which Adam covered himself. So that's the first view. The first view that we said speaks about that these atini wa zaytun refers to the fruits itself. And we said that Tabari and Al-Qurtubi, they favored this view because this was how the Arabs understood it. Tayyib, we move on. The other view argues that atini wa zaytun wa it refers to the origin or the places where these fruits are found in abundance. Taib, sacred places where you find these fruits in abundance. And in Arabic or in the ancient Arab times, things were referred to or named by things that they are famous and well known for. Should I say places were referred to? Places were referred to or named by things that they were famous and well-known for. So if a place was perhaps in this context well-known for olives, then they would call it, you know, Zaytun. If it was well-known for figs, they might call it Atin. You understand? And so forth. And I'm sure we could come up with modern-day examples where places are perhaps known for something, then that place becomes called by that thing. But that thing which becomes popular, an item or a fruit or a juice or something along those lines. Right? This could even be found in today's time and Allah knows best. So this group of scholars that said that it refers to these places, they reasoned and said that it could refer to the place as Allah swears by another place immediately after. So when we look at Watini wa Zaytun, those are the fruits. But then Allah says, Waturi Sinin, by the Mount Sinai, which is a place. And then Allah says immediately after that, وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ And this sacred or uh, secure city, 
Right? And as we will see, that refers to Makkah, the city. So they said, well, Allah then immediately after this, He connects this oath that He takes by the, by the teen and the zaytun to two places, which is the Mount Sinai and which is <coughs> Makkah. Hence, this must also refer to places and not necessarily the fruits itself. Understand? This is how they basically reasoned. Um, so they said, uh, this was their reasoning, Naam. Taib, we could also say that it applies to both the trees and the place where they are known for, right? This is another option we could use and say, well, both interpretations are applicable. It could refer to the fruits itself or the trees of those fruits or it could refer to those places. Both of these are um, applicable. Um, and these were also the places of the best of Anbiya who were sent. And we will see this. The Ulul Azm min al-Rusul, which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about in the Quran, the five greatest messengers and greatest prophets. Who were they? Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Ibrahim alayhi salam, Nuh alayhi salam, Musa alayhi salam, and Isa alayhi salam. This is the Ulul Azm, okay, which means basically the, the greatest of all messengers. So the five greatest messengers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent was the two Khalils, Muhammad and Ibrahim, then Nabi Nuh, then Nabi Musa, and then Nabi Isa. Okay, so if we look at their life, and where they were sent, then we find that they are related to uh, these ayat. And we will have a look at that. So Ibn Abbas, <coughs> another narration from Ibn Abbas, he said that Atin, when Allah says Watin, he says it refers to the masjid of Nuh, alayhi salam, which was built upon Mount Judi. Right? As we know, the ark of Nuh, after the floods, you know, came and this ark, when the water started to settle, this ark then settled upon, upon Mount Judi, right? So he said, the masjid that was built there, this is what Atin refers to. As Zaytun refers to Masjid Baytul Maqdis, right? Baytul Maqdis, we all know Baytul Maqdis, okay? So as Zaytun refers to Baytul Maqdis. Atin refers to the Masjid of Nabi Nuh alayhi salam. This is an opinion narrated by Ibn Abbas as is found in Al-Tabari's tafsir. Other Mufassirun like Ka'b, Qatada and Ikrimah and others, they said Atin refers to Damascus. Whereas Az-Zaytun refers to Baytul Maqdis. Az-Zaytun refers to Baytul Maqdis. Now, as I spoke about the Ulul Azm, and that these places were sacred places where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the best of Anbiya and the best of messengers. So if we look at the Masjid of Nuh, Nabi Nuh we know is Ulul Azm. Baytul Maqdis was where Isa alayhi salam was, right in Jerusalem. If we say it refers to Damascus, then this could refer to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim was sent. Okay, this is applicable. The next ayah, so these are all possibilities. Remember, these are all possibilities. It could be the Masjid of Nuh. It could be Baytul Maqdis is Zaytun. Because those places were known for these fruits. Those places were known for Baytul Maqdis is where you find lots of olives. The figs you could find in Damascus or in uh, the place of Judi, at the Mount Judi. Taib, the next ayah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَطُورِ سينين. And by Mount Sinai, by Mount Sinai. Again, the Imams, they said, it is the mountain upon which Allah spoke to Musa, alayhi salam. This is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to Musa. On this mountain, right, we know the stories of Musa again, this is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to him, on this mountain. So again, uh, if we say it refers to the places, and this definitely refers to the place, it's the place where Musa, alayhi salam, uh, re re got spoken to by Allah, azza wa jal, uh, na'am. And the previous ones was Nuh and Musa, or sorry, Isa alayhi salam, and possibly Ibrahim if we go with the view of Damascus. Um, and again, this ayah comes up, وَشَجَرَةً تَخْرُجُ مِن طُورِ سَيْنَاءِ A tree of olive oil, a tree of olives that springs forth from Mount Sinai. Right? From Mount Sinai, similar to this verse, وَطُورِ سِينِينَ The next verse is, وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ And by this secure city, Allah swears by the secure and safe city, which refers to Makkah. Without a doubt. And the ulama here have said there's no difference of opinion on this. No scholars have differed over 
this ayah, they all agree the secure and safe city is Mecca, Mecca al-Mukarramah. Tayyip, the greatest of all cities. And this was the city that the Prophet ﷺ was born in, and a lot of his da'wah was done in Mecca, and he conquered Mecca. Likewise, Ibrahim salam, he reached Mecca, he lived in Mecca, and he built the Kaaba, right? Ibrahim salam. So, without a doubt, here again we can see if we go with the places with the origin of, of these fruits, Atini was Zaytun, we see it could be Masjid of Nuh, so Nabi Nuh is, is, is uh, his area is mentioned, as Zaytun is definitely um, applying to Baytul Maqdis, which is where Isa alayhi salam was sent. If we go with Atin as Damascus, we could include Ibrahim alayhi salam from that angle. While Turi Sinin is where Musa alayhi salam was sent, the third of the Ulul Azm. Wahad al Balad al Amin is Mecca, where Rasulullah sallam was born, and where Ibrahim alayhi salam once again um, was, and his da'wah was obviously from Mecca, building the Kaaba and so forth with his son. So these places, at least all five of the best messengers were sent to. Muhammad sallallahu and Ibrahim, Nuh, Musa, and Isa. Subhanallah. So this is how the, the ulama, you know, how they argued and how they reasoned that it could refer to the places as well and not necessarily the fruits. Because immediately after those fruits, Allah mentions two places. Hence, you know, we mention this reasoning. So Mecca is the secure city. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also said in the Quran, أَوَلَمْ يَرَوْا أَنَّا جَعَلْنَا حَرَمًا آمِنًا آمِنًا Have they not seen how we made Mecca, the haram, a sacred haven, a safe haven? آمِنًا Safe. آمِنًا Right? The word amin, or, uh, it means safety and security. So Allah says we made it, this haram, one that is a safe haven. آمِنًا وَيُتَخَطَّفُ النَّاسُ مِنْ حَوْلِهِمْ Whereas people all around him are snatched away. How can they then believe in falsehood and deny Allah's favors? This is also the and a response from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to the dua of Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam said, Rabbi ja'al hadha al-balada aminan. Oh my Lord, make this city safe and secure. This was the dua of Ibrahim. And distance me and my family uh, from worshipping idols. Subhanallah. Imagine Khalilullah, the greatest or the second greatest prophet, the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after Muhammad sallam, made a dua that was undoubtedly accepted. Number one, it was that Mecca be, become a place of safety and security. And secondly, that him and his offspring, that they are protected from worshipping idols. And this is so powerful because the ulama mentioned that if Ibrahim had to make dua against shirk, that Allah keeps him away from shirk, what about the rest of us? Some people have a, a false idea that as Muslims, we don't need to study Tawheed and, 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 and learn about shirk because we're Muslim. So we're safe from shirk. Some even go to the extent of saying that there's no such thing as shirk in this ummah, that shirk cannot enter this ummah. And this is of course falsehood and batil and can be proven from any hadith, but just on this point, imagine Ibrahim salam made dua that Allah protects him from shirk, that Allah keeps him far away from shirk, that he worships other than Allah, that he worships idols, subhanallah. And that in itself is a lesson that shouldn't we not be making dua that we, Allah protects our aqeedah, that Allah preserves our, our belief system, that he keeps our belief pure, that we worship him alone, that he keeps us away from worshipping other than him. And this is a, of course a great fitna that many have fallen into, and this is how some of them have, have, have now tried to respond by saying, well, actually there's no such thing as shirk in the, in the ummah, which Wallahu musta'an is completely false. Tayyib, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he said in his tafsir, that some of the imams have said that these are three different places, and that Allah sent a messenger to each of them from the leading messengers. And this is what we basically explained, just to uh, cap it off with the, with the words of this great imam of tafsir. Right, the leading messengers who delivered the great codes of law. The first place is that of the fig and the olive, which is Jerusalem, where Allah sent Isa ibn Maryam. The second place is Mount Sinin or Mount uh, Sinai, which is Mount Sinai where Allah spoke to Musa ibn Ibrahim, yeah, ibn Imran. And the third place is Mecca, and it is the city of security where whoever enters is safe. It is also the city in which Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was sent. Thus, he mentioned them in order 
about them based upon the order of existence in time. Okay, so that's one point in terms of time. Then he said, this is why he swore by a noble place, then by a nobler place, and then by a place that is nobler than them both. Meaning, Allah swore by Jerusalem, Watini, Wazaytun, by Jerusalem, or we could say, according to the view of Ibn Abbas, Allah swore by the place of Nuh, where his masjid is in Mount Judi, and he swore by Jerusalem. And then he swore by Mount Sinai, which according to this statement of Ibn Kathir is a more noble place. And I think the reason why he's saying it's more noble than Jerusalem is because it's where Allah spoke to Musa directly. It's where Allah spoke to Musa directly. So that specific spot on that mountain is extremely blessed. It's extremely noble because this is where Allah spoke to Musa directly. And then Allah swore by an even more noble place, the most noble of them all, Makkah al mukarramah There's no place more blessed than Makkah. Wallahu alam, this is what Ibn Kathir said, that Allah swore by these places in this sequence. Right? So, what we've mentioned is that two things to summarize. When Allah says, وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَالطُورِ سِينِينُ هَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ Allah swore by four things. It could be the fruits itself, the fruit, the, the olive and the fig, or the fig and the olive, and we explained why Allah would swear by those things, that they are blessed fruits. Or it could mean the places where these fruits are found in abundance, where Allah sent the best of messengers. Possibly the Masjid of Nuh in Mount Judi, Baytul Maqdis, or Damascus, Mount Sinai, and Makkah. And Allah knows best. Or we could say that both interpretations are applicable. Wallahu uh, a'lam. Allah then says, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ Subhanallah. Amazing. Allah Azza wa Jal, He says, Indeed, we created insan, which is humans, in the best form. In the best of forms. And this is the response to the oaths. This is what we call Jawabul Qasam. So Allah took a Qasam four times in the Surah. But after each Qasam, there has to be a response to the Qasam. There has to be something by which Allah is swearing or, or what He is swearing about. So he swore by those four things, but, but what's the point? Why, why is he swearing? What's the, he has to make a statement after this. It's the same if we take an oath. We say, Wallahi, something has to follow. Uh, we, we cannot say, Wallahi, and that's it. You have to say, you swear by Allah, yes, but upon something, what are you swearing about? You understand? And this is why Ibn Kathir, he says, this is the subject that is being sworn about. This is what Allah was swearing about. So he swore by those four things, Starting, he's building up, he's making a, an emphatic point. What's the, the subject? What's the emphatic point? What is that the response to these oaths? It is this ayah over here. And it is that Allah created man in the best image and form. Standing upright with straight limbs that he beautified. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was building up those qasams for. So when we recite, وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَطُورِ سِينِينَ وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ this is a build-up. Allah swears by these great places or these blessed fruits as well, building us up to an emphatic statement, a statement that he, swores, that he swears by, that he swore by. And that is, indeed, we created insan in the best of forms. In the best of forms. And another point to mention here is, three types of emphasis was used in this verse. Firstly, we got those oaths that we mentioned. When Allah swears by something that is emphatic, Emphatic speech, something emphatic is coming up. There's emphasis being put on this statement over here. Hence, Allah took those oaths before it. That's number one. Number two, we got the lamb. La qad. La. That lamb is used for emphasis. Qad is also used for emphasis. So those are three things, in three ways Allah emphasized the statement. He really built the statement up as if to make a really powerful statement and say... Indeed, without any doubt, truly, verily, definitely, we created insan in the best of forms. Subhanallah. Amazing. The most balanced, the best form and appearance. None of the creation in this world, especially in this world, can be compared to Bani Adam. Can be compared to the son of Adam. Subhanallah, this is how Allah has honored us. وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ Allah says in another verse, Indeed, we have honored the sons of Adam. And this is one of the ways He has honored us in the way He that He created us. 
In fact, the great Imam Ibn al-Arabi, rahimahullah, the Maliki scholar, not the, the heretic Sufi Ibn Arabi, Ibn al-Arabi is the difference. You get Ibn Arabi, which was the, the Sufi who believed in um, pantheism, that everything one is equal to Allah, or everything in existence is the same. Hence, we are Allah and Allah is us. This was the, the level of his misguidance and disbelief that he fell into. This is not the scholar that we are referring to. We are referring to Ibn al-Arabi, rahimahullah, one of the great imams of Ahlu Sunnah. He said, there is no creation that belongs to Allah that is better than insan. For indeed, Allah created them alive and knowledgeable. He gave us life, hayah, or hayyan, with life and with ilm, aliman, with abilities and with will. Allah gave us a will. He gave us willpower and desire. And He gave us abilities. Able to speak, to hear, to see with wisdom and so forth. And then He said, These are actually the attributes of the Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are the attributes of Allah. Allah has will. Allah hears, He speaks. He has ilm, He has wisdom. He's alive and so forth. And then he mentioned the hadith that Allah created Adam السلام, in his image. Allah created Adam in his image. Rasulullah also said, when anyone fights with his brother, let him avoid the face. For Allah created Adam in his image. There's a number of ahadith that speak about this issue. That Allah created Adam in his image. The great Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, he said, the word image in this hadith is like all the other names and attributes narrated in the texts, where the words used may also be applied to created beings in a limited manner. Now this of course is an aqeedah issue regarding the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how we understand and how we interpret them. When these words are applied to Allah, they carry a unique meaning, such as Al-Alim, the All-Knowing, Al-Qadir, the All-Powerful, Ar-Rahim, the most merciful, Al-Sami'i, the all-yearing, Al-Basir, the all-seeing, and such as he's creating with his hands, rising above the throne, etc. These are all things that are mentioned about Allah, or some of the things, there are many others, other names, other attributes that are mentioned in the Quran. And in hadith about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah says in the Quran, I created you with my two hands. Allah, of course, is Sami'i, Al-Basir, the all-yearing, all-seeing, all-powerful, all-knowledgeable, one who's alive, and so forth. The point is that the Sheikh is mentioning is that these words, when they are, these attributes, when they are uh, applied to Allah, they are applied in a unique manner, in a manner of perfection. Because every name and attribute of Allah, they are attributes of perfection. Right? But when they are in, applied to insan, then they are applied in a limited manner. Right? This is what Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah said. So Sheikh bin Baz rahimahullah also said, it does not mean that there is any resemblance or likeness. Right? So some people accuse the, these scholars of Ahlul Sunnah and say that, well, now you, you are likening Allah to His creation, but this is kathib. And this is actually lies and a misunderstanding on their part. We are not likening Allah to creation. Rather, this is what the hadith says, that Allah created him in His image, and this is what it means, that there are certain attributes which are similar, but not the same. There is actually no resemblance. Does Allah see and do we see? Yes, we do. Does Allah hear? Yes, He does. Do we hear? Yes, we do. Is Allah alive? Yes, He is. Are we alive currently? Yes, we are. And so forth. Right? But when it's applied to Allah, it's applied in a perfect sense. And when it's applied to us, it's in an imperfect sense. And there's actually no correlation or there's no similarity. There's no comparison that can be drawn between perfect and imperfect. If we look at Allah's life, he lives with no beginning and no end. Our life has a beginning and it has an end. Our sight has so many restrictions, so many limits. Allah's sight is completely perfect. He sees every single thing at the same time without needing to focus, without getting uh, confused. We can only look at one thing and focus on one thing at once. To look at the next thing, we need to shift our and, and then we lose attention and focus on the first thing. This is limited sight. 
Then we can speak about certain sizes and certain things which are, uh, are invisible to us. Nothing is invisible to Allah. Imagine He sees every single thing in the heavens and the earth at the same time and He can see everything and process everything at the same time. This is something impossible to even understand and comprehend yet that's the sight of Allah. The same with hearing. The same with His knowledge. We can go into each one and go into detail about how it's perfect to Allah but yet it's imperfect to us. So how these attributes are and how this is something that we do not delve into. We just accept it as it is. That that is perfect and unique to Allah's majesty and to us is in a limited manner. So this also proves, well let's read the words of Sheikh bin Baz. He said what is meant that he is all hearing, all seeing and he speaks and when he wants. And he created Adam also and he speaks when he wants. And he created Adam also able to hear and see with the face and hands and feet. But, the, but man's hearing is not like Allah's hearing. His seeing is not like Allah's seeing. His speaking is not like Allah's speaking. Rather, Allah has attributes that befit His majesty and might. And man has attributes that befit Him, attributes that are finite and imperfect. Whereas the attributes of Allah are perfect, with no shortcomings, infinite and without end. Hence Allah says, There is nothing like Him. He is the all-hearer and all-seeing. Notice in this ayah, when Allah says there is nothing like unto him, no comparison, no example, he then says he hears and he sees. Yet, do we not hear and see? So is there no comparison here? The answer is no. Because as I explained, the hearing of Allah is completely different. Our hearing is completely different. We need so many things to hear. Our ear needs all of these different organs and functions and bones and pinna and all these things inside of it. And the same with the eye, it needs all of these things. We don't go into those details with Allah. With Allah, we say He sees and that's it. With Allah, we say He hears everything and that's it. Perfect. With us, imperfections. So many things we cannot hear. So many things which is too loud will deafen us. Too soft, we cannot hear. We can only listen to one thing at once. If ten people speak to you, two people speak to you at the same time, you probably wouldn't understand. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has every single sound at the same time under the earth, under the ocean, in the heavens, in this dunya, in sand, animals, insects, you name it, Allah hears everything at the same time and He processes it at the same time, doesn't get confused. Subhanallah, can there be a comparison between that type of hearing and our type of hearing? Wallahul musta'an. And the same with every other attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that there's absolutely no comparison. So when we say that Allah created Adam in His image, it means that there were certain attributes and certain Descriptions of Allah that is found within Adam. Does it mean that there's a comparison between the two? Oh, of course not. But this is how Allah honored insan. This is part of how Allah created them in the best of forms. And bi'idhnillah that is clear and Allah knows best. There's a story that Imam Al-Qurtubi mentions in his tafsir. From a man, Isa ibn Musa al-Hashimi, who had an extreme love for his wife. And one day he said to his wife, You are divorced three times. If you are not more beautiful to me than the moon. If you are not more beautiful to me than the moon, you are divorced three times. What happened was is, his wife became extremely angry with the statement. And she left and said, well, you've divorced me. Because who can be as, as beautiful than the moon? Um, and certain scholars were brought in. And one of the leaders at the time, he actually brought a lot of fuqaha, fuqaha and ulama. And all of them, except for one, said, she's divorced. She's divorced. Except one. So this leader, he said to this man, why is it that you are not speaking? And so what did this man say? He said, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, لَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا الْإِنسَانَ فِي أَحْسَنِ تَقْوِيمِ Indeed, we created insan in the best forms. Hence, she is more beautiful and better off than the moon. And therefore, the sheikh said, or the leader said, this man has spoken the truth. Hence, you should take her back. And he sent a message to the wife to say, go back to your husband and obey your husband because you have not been divorced. Allah understand. This is a story narrated by Al-Qurtubi in his tafsir. So without a doubt, man has been created in the best of forms. The inner and outer beauty is unparalleled. And this is how Allah has honored us. The head and what it contains, our aql, that alone 
makes us stand out above all of creation or the rest of creation. The fact Allah gave us this aql that we can use to distinguish between things, to think for ourselves compared to the animals. Even the angels don't have um, this ability that, that man has been given of will and so forth. Um, and the jinn, limited. Not as well, and I wouldn't say as, as accurate as insan. The chest is what it combines. Subhanallah. Look at your, the way Allah has structured our, our, our physical body. And then the heart. So the heart itself is a miracle. And every other part, the stomach and what it includes, everything that's in our interior, our private part, what it brings of offspring and so forth. The hands and what it strikes and does, the abilities of our hands. Look at another animal and what, what its paws and hands can actually achieve compared to that of insan. The feet and how it walks and so forth. If you study the human body, you will see the way Allah has structured us is in, without a doubt in the best of forms. Is without a doubt in the best of forms. And this is the great ni'mah that Allah has bestowed us with. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he moves on and he says in the next ayah, ثُمَّ رَدَدْنَاهُ أَسْفَلَ سَافِلِينَ but we will reduce them to the lowest of the low. We will reduce them to the lowest of the low. And again, yeah, the ulama differed on what is meant by the lowest of the low. What does Allah mean when He says that we will reduce them and drop them to the lowest of the low? The one view is of Al-Dahaq and Al-Kalbi that this refers to feeble, weak, senile, decrepit old age. After youth, they become old and weak and senile and decrepit and so forth. It could refer to weakness after strength until a person becomes like a child was in his initial circumstance or initial case. And this of course is known. We know that this happens to many people. <coughs> or to some people. That when they reach a certain age, they go backwards in life. Uh, and, and this is uh, really a serious issue. And, and actually, we find from the sunnah that Rasulullah used to make dua that Allah protects him from this. So two examples come to mind. The first is after the salah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used to make a dua and say, Allah ma inni a'udhu bika min al-bukhul wa a'udhu bika min al-jubn wa a'udhu bika min an uradda ila ardhalil umur. And this is what's referred to by Asfal al-Safin according to this view, ardhalil umur. That state of feeble weakness in old age. Decrepit old age. Um, so the, uh, the, the dua was, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from, uh, from bukhul, which is miserliness. And from cowardice, jubin, and from going back to that decrepit old age. And then the rest of the dua says, وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ فِتْنَةِ الدُّنْيَا And I seek refuge in you from the fitna of this world. وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ عَذَابِ الْقَبْرِ You say this dua of five protections after the salah. In another hadith, which is from the adhkar of the morning and the evening. And this is something that each Muslim needs to learn. And we can find this on our Tayyiba Institute website. The, under resources, you will find the adhkar of the morning and the evening. Authentic adhkar, alhamdulillah, should learn it and implement it on a daily basis. Every morning and every evening, Rasulullah sallallahu used to say, Asbahna wa asbah al-mulku lillah, alhamdulillah, la ilaha illallah wa ahtawla sharika la, lahu al-mulku wa alhamdulillah ala kulli shayin qadir. رَبِّ أَسْأَلُكَ خَيْرَ مَا فِي هَذَا الْيَوْمِ وَخَيْرَ مَا بَعْدَهُ وَأَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنْ شَرِّ مَا فِي هَذَا الْيَوْمِ وَشَرِّ مَا بَعْدَهُ رَبِّ أَعُوذُ بِكَ مِنَ الْكَسِلِ وَسُوءِ الْكِبَرِ So the old dua you can refer to in that chapter and see that it's a beautiful dua which has so many benefits. This part says, Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from laziness and from the evils of, of old age, that the badness of old age, which this is what it refers to, from becoming a person in his old age, becomes like a child again. He forgets and he's dependent on everybody else around him. So Rasulullah never became like this. Um, and he made dua that Allah protects him from this. So by Allah, we should do the same. Really, and these are prophetic narrations. I mentioned two of them by which we can do this after the salah and every morning and every evening to make this dua where Allah protects us from this. And wallahi, this is something seen in today's time. 
that you get certain people who go down that path, and then we look at certain people, like the, some of our scholars, that are in, in, in this real old age, but their minds are as sharp and as fresh as ever. Two of our teachers that come to mind, the, the Muhaddith of Al-Madina, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abbad, who is our teacher, he said, oh, oh, sorry, he, if you look at the Sheikh, and the Sheikh is still teaching to this day, he's in the Haram, he teaches. He used to teach in the university when I was there, which was a few years ago. Um, the Sheikh is in a wheelchair, and I believe that the Sheikh has lost his sight. Yet, the Sheikh's mind is as fresh as ever. So when, the, when the, the Sheikh's class is about hadith, right? And people would recite the hadith to him. There's a reader who would read the hadith. People are in the class. The Sheikh would then give a brief commentary here and there. And he would mention the asma'u rijal. So as they read the chain of narration, the Sheikh would read out the full name of each narrator from his head. From his head. So if the hadith just says, from Sufyan, the Sheikh will tell you exactly which Sufyan this is, why it's that Sufyan, and not a different Sufyan in this context, and then from the next one, and he will give the full name of that narrator all at the top of his head. The Sheikh is now nearly at the age of 90 years old, and his mind is as fresh as ever. Um, Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan, for example, he's, mashallah, tabarakallah, the Sheikh is also eight, over 85, going on to 90 soon. May Allah preserve them and all the other senior ulama. They are fresh and they are sharp as ever. And Allah has protected them from this and we ask Allah to protect us as well. And, and it could be that because, you know, these du'as and as well, because they dedicated their, their brains and their minds to serving the deen of Allah. Hence Allah has kept them fresh. And as Ikrima and others have stated, that a person who memorizes the Qur'an will not return to the state. A person who recites the Qur'an daily from his head and it keeps his mind fresh, he will not return to the state. May Allah make us of them. Ameen. So this is the first view. As falasafini refers to that weakness and decrepit old age. The second view of Mujahid and others is that as falasafini refers to the fire. First to the nar, the fire of Jahannam. Right? Hence this refers to the kafir. That Allah we will Allah says we will reduce them, meaning the kafir, to the lowest of the low into the fire. That's the second view. Right? Ibn Kathir he explains and he says that after this attractiveness and beauty. Allah said we created insan in the best of forms. And we, we spoke about how Allah emphasized this. Right? So after this attractiveness and beauty that Allah mentions that is given to insan, Allah then says their destination will be to the hellfire if they disobey Allah and belie the messengers. And this is why Allah says in the next ayah, Except for those who have iman and those who do righteous deeds. Right? And then Ibn Kathir he also said, uh, that some have said that this ayah refers to decrepit old age. And we basically explained this um, already. Except that Ibn Kathir then says that he doesn't agree with this view. That he basically says that he doesn't agree with this view because the next ayah says, And so Allah is basically saying that we will reduce him to the lowest of the low. Except for those who have iman and do righteous deeds. So Ibn Kathir says, well, there are Muslims who have iman and do righteous deeds that also become weak in their old age, that become decrepit in their old age. And therefore, this cannot be the right meaning. That's basically what Ibn Kathir is saying. That this cannot be the right meaning because they are of the alladina amanu wa amilu salihat who also become like this. And Allah said, this won't happen to them basically. Right? And so therefore Ibn Kathir says that he doesn't agree with the view that this is the refers to old age. Hence he is saying it refers to the view of the fire. As falasafin, the lowest of the low, he is saying it refers to the fire. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions 10 reasons why it doesn't refer to old age and it only refers to the fire. I'm going to mention a few of them and not all 10. Ibn al-Qayyim says, decrepit old age is not referred to as the lowest of the low. Not in the language, nor in custom. So, asfal asafilin, the lowest of the low, to the Arabs. And the culture of the Arabs at the time was never ever understood as old age. It was always understood as uh, the lowest of the low, does not old age basically. And then he says, rather the lowest of the low is the Sijin, which is the abode of the Fujjar, the wicked. 
Just like the Illiyin is the abode of the Abrar. And if you go to Surah Mutafifin in Juz'ammah, Wailulil Mutafifin, you will see in there what Ibn al-Qayyim is talking about. So here's a research for one and all. Go back and open the Quran, the translation of the Quran, and see what Ibn al-Qayyim is talking about when he mentions this. Allah says that, كَلَّا إِنَّ كِتَابَ الْفُجَّارِ لَفِي سِجِّينَ That the, that in that nay, that the, uh, the fujjar will be in the sijin basically. The wicked will be in the sijin. And then Allah speaks, what is the sijin? Uh, sijin here basically refers to the lowest of the low. That this is their abode. The fujjar, the wicked people will be where? In the sijin, in the fire. And also Allah says in that same ayah, That's what Ibn al-Qaim is talking about. So the abrar, which is the righteous people, they will be in the illiyin, whereas the fujjar will be in the sijin. Hence, the fujjar is the, the lowest of the low, whereas the illiyin is the highest of the high. Basically, this is what he's saying. Whereas if you interpret it as old age, it doesn't actually add up. Secondly, he says, the amount of people that end up senile or in this decrepit old age um, state is very few in terms of the percentage of people. If you take all of insan, right, majority of the people die before they reach that age. Even if they become old, they don't become that weak or that senile, right? It's actually a few. It's a small percentage of people. It's not the majority. That's for sure. So this ayah refers to majority because majority of people is in misguidance, and that's why Allah says, "Except those who believe, except those who reject, those are the, the the few." Understand? So insan, in the best of forms, then we will reduce them to the lowest of the low, except those who have true iman and do righteous deeds. It's a few people. So the majority who will be reduced to the lowest of the low is definitely not the old people. It's, it refers to the, the, the kuffar who will be reduced to the lowest of the low in Jahannam. And that makes sense, whereas the, the old age thing doesn't make sense in this context. Also, Ibn Al-Qaim says in this surah, Allah mentions the reward of the believers as a never-ending reward, right? As we will see, ajrun mamnun, And the reward of the disbelievers as the lowest of the low. This wouldn't make sense if it was interpreted as old age. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes a comparison. We see the reward of the those who do righteous deeds and those who have true iman. What's the reward? They will get the reward that's never ending. On the flip side, there will be others who will be returned to the lowest of the low. Who are these people? They are the opposite of the believers. Hence it's the kuffar. And they will be returned to the lowest of the low. That's their punishment. Can we say that the opposite of the believers are the people who are old, who are returned to the lowest of the low? It doesn't add up again. This is not how the, this doesn't, it actually goes against the eloquence of the Quran from that angle. Another point Ibn Al-Qaim says is, Allah mentions his favor of creating insan in the best of forms. This favor necessitates from insan their gratitude, iman, and tawheed, that they worship him alone. So because Allah blessed us like this, created us in the best of forms. What does that mean for us? That means we need to worship Him alone. We need to have true Iman and we need to be grateful to Him. This is what's required. This is what Allah deserves at least from us. This is His haqq over us. This is right over us that, that we at least will turn to Him alone. He will therefore take them from this world to the highest of abodes, to the illiyin. So if we do this, we are guaranteed if we become the righteous and the muwahideen and so forth, We'll guarantee that Allah will bless us with the best. If he does not believe in him, or he associates partners with him, commits shirk, and he disobeys the messenger, Allah will send him to the lowest of the low. The opposite. The opposite. So if we are ungrateful, we don't worship Allah alone, what's, what do we get? Asfala safilin. So he exchanges the best of forms, ahsan al-taqweem, to the worst and most horrific of forms, which is in the lowest of the low, which only makes sense to be the fire of Jahannam. Another point Ibn Al-Qaim says is, in a similar ayah, Allah says in Surah Inshiqaq, at the end, فَبَشِرٌ بِعَذَابٍ أَلِيمٍ إِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا صَالِحَاتِ لَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرٌ مَمْنُونَ The similar ayah to in Atin. So give them good news of a painful punishment. What is the painful punishment? It cannot be old age. It's definitely the lowest of the low in this similar to in Atin. And the rest is the same like Atin. إِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا صَالِحَاتِ that is the same. So here this ayah is similar 
and it proves that it does not refer to old age, it refers to um, the fire. Last point on this from Ibn Ashur, another Imam of Tafsir, he also gave a different interpretation which is also good. He said that the best of forms, Ahsan al-Taqweem, refers to fitrah, which Allah created insan upon. So we know Allah created us all upon fitrah. He did not create some as kuffar and some as Muslims. We all created upon fitrah with a natural inclination to the haqq. But the hadith says that the parents then turn into Jews and to Christians and to this and to that. Okay? And then he says that the reducing to the lowest of the low is for the disbeliever. So Allah created all upon fitrah. Those who are reduced to the lowest of the low is for the, the kafir. And this is because of his distance from the fitrah upon which Allah created him. So the kafir, as he grows up upon kufr or he goes into disbelief, he goes further and further and further away from fitrah, from the natural inclination of tawheed and servitude to Allah alone. Except for who? amanu, Those who believed. وَاسْتَقَامُوا And they remained steadfast upon the fitrah which Allah created him upon. So that's also a good interpretation that Ahsan al-Taqwim can also refer to fitrah. And Asfar al the lowest of the low is for the kafir who moved away from his fitrah. Right? As the hadith says, Kullu mawludin yuladu ala al-fitrah. That every child is born upon fitrah. We move on. Allah says, إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا صَالِحَاتِ فَلَهُمْ أَجْرٌ غَيْرُ مَمْنُونَ Except those who believe and do righteous or good deeds, they will have a never-ending reward. So, those who have iman, we know the true believers who believe in Allah and all six points of iman, they do righteous good deeds for them they will have a reward which is mamnoon which is mamnoon Allah describes it as mamnoon what does mamnoon mean? three opinions one some of them say it means mankus mankus which means they will have a reward that is never inadequate or never lacking they will have a reward that is never lacking some say it means mahsub they will have a reward that is not counted or calculated, like infinite. They will have a reward that is not calculated. And others said it means munqati', meaning a reward that's not cut off or never brought to an end, i.e. everlasting or never-ending reward. And this seems to be the strongest view as stated by Al-Tabari and Ibn Kathir. So those true believers who are grateful to Allah's favors upon them by creating them in the best of forms and so forth, they worship Him alone. They do righteous deeds. They will have a reward that's never ending. May Allah make us of them. Ameen. And then Allah says, فَمَا يُكَذِّبُكَ بَعْدُ بِالدِّينَ Now what makes you deny the final judgment? What makes you deny a deen? We spoke about this word when we did Fatiha, Maliki Yawmid Deen, the day of recompense or the day of judgment. What makes you deny the final judgment? Ibn Kathir says, what causes you to deny, meaning, O son of Adam. So notice here, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes the address to the second person. That kaf is used again. Ka, like we explained by Alam Nashrah, like ka, you, kaf, ka means you, right? What makes you deny? Okay, the, the rest of the surah, there was no second person address. Allah spoke, like in the third person. Yeah, Allah changes it to the second person. So one interpretation here is Allah is now speaking to who? All of insan. All of insan. But Allah was talking about insan in the best of forms. Some of them will be returned to, will be dropped to the lowest of the low, except those who have iman and so forth will get the never-ending rewards. So what causes you, O insan, O son of Adam? Allah is changing the address now to them. Allah, after Allah stated all of these things, what causes you to deny the judgment? The final judgment or the day of recompense. Right? Um, Ibn Kathir, he says, in the recompense it will take place in the Akhirah. For indeed, you know the beginning and you know that he who is able to begin the creation is also able to repeat it, which is easier. So what is it that makes you deny the final return in the year after, after you have known this? So see if Allah, this is if all, what Allah is basically saying to insan. After you know this, you know Allah created you in this form. You know Allah brought you into existence. What causes you to deny the Akhirah? What causes you now after the evidence has come to you? After the proofs and the ayat have come to you? That causes you to deny the, the, the last day or the Akhirah or the day of recompense. That's one interpretation, right? 
Others like At-Tabari said that this calf is not addressed to insan, it's addressed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi So hence it means, who can belie you, O Muhammad? When it says, yukathibuka, it's not to insan, he say, who can belie you, O Muhammad, <coughs> after what has come to you of clarity and evidences from Allah regarding the final day? As if to say, um, after what has come to you of clear proofs, who can now not believe you? Who can now not listen to you regarding the last day? Right? This is also, it's a, it's a good understanding. Both is possible. Al-Qurtubi explained and he said, it could be addressed to the disbeliever as a warning and encouragement to follow the evidence. So this calf could be to who? To the disbelieving insan. Meaning, if you realized, O insan, that Allah created you in the best of forms, and this is evident for all to see, and that he can reduce you to the most feeble of age, this is also well known to insan, and he can change your condition from one to the other, then what causes you to deny the resurrection and the day of recompense which Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa informed you about. All of these interpretations are plausible and acceptable. It could be that Allah is addressing the whole of insan. It could be that Allah is addressing Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa as to say, who can possibly deny what you have come with after Allah stated all of these things emphatically and so forth. Allah then says, أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ <coughs> Sorry. أَلَيْسَ اللَّهُ بِأَحْكَمِ الْحَاكِمِينَ is Allah not the most just of all judges? Is Allah not the most just of all judges? Right? Ibn Kathir, he explains and he says, Is he not the best of judges? Who does not oppress or do any injustice to anyone? Is this not Allah? And from his justice that he will establish the day of judgment. And he will give retribution to the person who was wronged in this life against whoever wronged him. That's what Ibn Kathir basically explained. And without a doubt, this, this question doesn't require an answer. So I know those questions where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't require an answer. It is known that he is truly the best of judges and the most merciful as well. So uh, the hadith Qudsi, Allah says, Inni ala nafsi. That indeed I have made oppression and transgression haram upon myself. Subhanallah. If Allah wanted, if Allah wanted, he could oppress people. If he wanted to, because Allah can do whatever he wants. We are his creation, he's the creator. We know these ayat, Allah says he does whatever he wants. If he technically wanted to oppress others or to uh, uh, be unjust to others, he could do that. Who can stop him? Who can decide that he cannot do that? Technically, he could do that. But what did Allah say in this hadith Qudsi? I made it haram upon myself. Meaning that Allah will never be unjust. He will always be the most just. Ad-Dayyan is his name, the just judge. Al-Hakim, Al-Hakim, the judge, or the most wise, and so forth. So without a doubt, he is the most just of judges. Some of the Salaf would say, if we could choose somebody to reckon with us on the day of reckoning, we would choose Allah over our own mother. Because we know Allah is more merciful and more just to us than our own mother. Subhanallah. So without a doubt, um, we believe Allah is the most just. He will not oppress or wrong any person. And Allah has even stated this in the Quran. That um, it is not Allah who has oppressed them, but they have oppressed themselves. They have wronged themselves. It's not Allah who wronged them, they have wronged themselves. Many ayat like this we'll find in the Quran. Uh, <clears throat> so without a doubt, we say again that Allah is the most just of judges. And on the day of judgment, He will judge between His creation with complete justice. Any person who was oppressed will be given his retribution. Any person who was wronged will be given his haqq on that day. And this, the hadith speaks about people who will come with mountains of good deeds. But as he stands here with all these good deeds piled up, there will be a list of people coming up. And to each, or a line of people, and each person will come and from his good deeds will say, right, this is going to him because you slapped him. This is going to him because you backbited about him, and to him, and to him, and to him, and, and you slandered him, and you lied about him, and you oppressed him in this way, and you stole from him, and you did this one to him, and that to him, until this person is left bankrupt, with no more good deeds. So his scale of good deeds is gone, only his bad deeds is still up. And there's still people in the line. 
what will then happen? Their bad deeds will be added to his bad deeds because he's got no more good deeds to give. So their bad deeds will be given to him until he, he, he has all, yani he's, he's, the, the rights of all have been fulfilled. Imagine, subhanallah, this is how Allah will fulfill justice. So some people who are oppressed in this dunya, they should never lose hope because they need to know that on Qiyamah they will get their, they will get their rights. <coughs> on Qiyamah they will get their the haq, subhanallah, and the most judge of all judges, forget the judges of this dunya, some are just, some are unjust, some are confused, some are oppressive, wallahu musta'an, but ultimately our judgment will come on the day of judgment with the most just of all judges, which is undoubtedly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that brings us to the end of our surah for the day, surah at-teen, again another beautiful, powerful surah, walhamdulillah, um, and really, the lesson behind going into some of the details, it's not in great detail, but in good detail, alhamdulillah, each surah is again that we become familiar with the meanings of these surahs, and especially for our salah, right? So that when we recite these often common recited surahs, or the imam recites it, we can follow what he is reciting, we can think about these meanings that we're pondering, and we can reflect over it, and then have a two, uh, you know, let the ayat enter our hearts and, and really change us, bi'idnillah, for the better. And we of course derive many other lessons from these ayat, walhamdulillah. We ask Allah Azza wa Jal to make it beneficial for us. Um, and we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept from us that He makes us of the people of the Quran, those who are special and closest to Him. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Until next week, bi idnillah, we will start Surah Al-Alaq. Iqra' bismi rabbika ladhi khalaq. Insha'Allah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. أشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت أستغفرك وأتوب إليك